Ahead on Today Explained, it's the offseason, but that is not stopping the Buffalo Bills from setting records. The football team just struck a new $1.4 billion stadium deal with New York State and local government picking up $850 million of that tab. That is the largest taxpayer contribution for an NFL facility ever. And that's $850 million of public funds, even though the team is owned by a fracking billionaire. Why New York is handing over nearly a billion dollars to the Buffalo Bills and whether these publicly funded stadium deals ever work out in the public's favor. That's ahead on today's show. Support for Today Explained comes from BetterHelp. We'd all like to find an extra hour every day for the things that really matter. Therapy might be able to help you suss out what is most important and prioritize it. And BetterHelp can make the entire process convenient and painless. You can fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist in practically no time at all. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash explain today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash explained. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Today Explained, Sean Ramos from. I grew up in Toronto, Canada, right across the Great Lake from Buffalo. So the Buffalo Bills were the closest thing I had to an NFL team growing up. That being said, I was into hockey. Sort of comes with the territory. But Jerry Zaremski was into the Bills. I am a Buffalo Bills fan, but I don't believe it affects my reporting. Jerry's the Washington bureau chief for the Buffalo News. We asked him what the Bills mean to Buffalo. The Buffalo Bills franchise really lends kind of a big city feel to a city that's been kind of on the cusp of being a major city and a middle-sized city over the last few decades. Uh, it's a few decades in which the city's economy and the region's economy has been very much on a downbound train until recently. And recently there's real signs that population and the economy are picking up. But all through the troubled times of Buffalo's recent history over the last 50 to 60 years, the Buffalo Bills have been central to bringing the community together and giving the, the community something to root for. It's a very unique relationship between a town and a team that's really only like one other in the NFL, and that's the Green Bay Packers. Most other NFL cities are much bigger than Buffalo. The metro areas that they serve are much bigger. But the Bills, for the longest time, 
have been just a central part of our identity in Western New York. This is breaking news from News 8. Good afternoon. A breaking news on this Monday, a hefty price tag for a new Buffalo Bills stadium. Governor Kathy Hochul confirming the state and Erie County taxpayers will be asked to contribute $850 million in public funds for the construction of a new Bills stadium. If the state legislature approves it, the Buffalo Bills will likely be set in Buffalo for the next three decades. And there's a sense of security to that that would be very important to the community. This is a city that did lose an NBA franchise that's lost industrial power after industrial power over the years. There is, of course, another side to this story. There are significant numbers of people in Buffalo and in other parts of New York State that look at this as too much public money going to a business entity, that is the Buffalo Bills, owned by a billionaire. So there's a debate in Buffalo, just as there is in other parts of the state. However, the current stadium will soon be 50 years old. Orchard Park, the new stadium, the new home of the Buffalo Bills. More than 600 men and machines labor to complete the new facility in time for the 73 Buffalo Bills football season. It is in very rough shape and would need an awful lot of work. And even with a lot of work, it would not meet the modern-day NFL standards. So the presumption has been that if the Bills could not get a new stadium, there would be the grave danger that the Bills could uh, end up leaving town sometime in the next few years because the lease is up only in a couple of years. So is that how this deal came about? It was just sort of proactive? Do we have any idea? Well, the, the Bills made clear that they need a new stadium. Ron Rakuya was asked if a stadium deal was not reached, would the Bills continue to play at Highmark Stadium? No, we absolutely will not. The NFL made clear that the Bills need a new stadium. I do believe that a stadium long-term is going to be needed in that marketplace. I love Ralph Wilson Stadium, uh, but it's got to compete against a lot of these new stadiums that have a lot of uh, very important features that that stadium doesn't have. So basically, this was bound to happen. Uh, whomever was governor, be it Andrew Cuomo or Kathy Hochul, would be at this point in time looking to come up with some sort of a deal with Erie County and with uh, uh, Kim and Terry Pagula, the owner of the Bills, to build a new stadium. Clearly, as soon as Governor Hochul took office in August, people started asking questions. So I come with the Buffalo question. Um, um, we know you have a study underway. What we're wondering about is, what is your timeline for a deal? Are you hoping to see a deal by the end of the year? And we have heard over the last few weeks that there was going to be a deal. There's going to be a deal. My desire is I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. Let's lock this down. Let's get it done. So uh, we are very intently focused on keeping the bills here. If Orchard Park's their first choice, their only choice, it's Orchard Park, and uh, we'll make it all happen. It was only announced a week ago, which some people, you know, clearly don't like because it was very late in the state budget process. The state budget was due on, on April 1st, which is now late, and it did take place in, in secret. The negotiations did take place in, in secret, but... All business negotiations take place in secret. There is concern among some that the, the deal...
came so close to the budget deadline that it couldn't be properly vetted, that there couldn't be, say, legislature hearings on it. And that is a much more legitimate concern than the idea that this thing would be negotiated publicly, because deals like this are never negotiated publicly. So the state of New York pays the lion's share. Yes. And it's a record-breaking sum of money. Well, uh, it depends on how one looks at it. The public contribution, according to our analysis at the Buffalo News, is less than the 73% public contribution to stadium deals in smaller NFL markets over the past two decades. Things are different in a place like Los Angeles or Las Vegas. We are so ready for major league sports in this town. But there have been very major subsidies there as well. So, for example, there was a public subsidy to the new stadium in Las Vegas for the Las Vegas Raiders. There, the state paid $750 million to build a $1.9 billion stadium. It's the biggest dollar amount, but it's not the biggest share ever. And... I have a feeling that part of the reason there is some blowback is that the the Pagulas are billionaires. And not only are they billionaires, but they're fracking billionaires. And this is a state which re- rejected fracking years ago. And that uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of public figures have spoken out against uh, that form of natural gas drilling. And here we have a fracking billionaire getting a lot of state money to build a stadium. Okay, the fact that the Pagulas are getting a single dime of public funds is kind of a shocker. I thought those days were long gone, especially when you're cutting funds for Schools you know, regular and, yeah. people. Has Hochul responded to that particular criticism yet? No. <laughs> and she has some personal ties to the team, yeah? There are personal ties in that, number one, Kathy Hochul's a big Buffalo Bills fan. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. But more importantly than that, Her husband is the general counsel for Delaware North Companies. I have the coolest job in the world. 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 I have the coolest job in the world because I work for Delaware North Companies. Delaware North Companies is one of the largest concessionaire companies in the entire nation. Huh. Currently, Delaware North handles the concessions at Highmark Stadium, the the Bills Stadium today. Um, And so... The company that Kathy Hochul's husband works for benefits whenever a Buffalo Bills fan buys a beer at the the current stadium. Uh There's a lot of questioning of that. However, that contract for the concessions doesn't carry over to a new stadium. Okay, but there's a lot of reasons for people to think this is suspicious or at least sticky or maybe a little clumsy. I mean... The governor herself has a direct tie to the business operations of the stadium through her husband. She's financing a stadium for a team that's owned by a fracking billionaire while she's running for re-election. And this is a huge giveaway of public funds to the NFL, to the Buffalo Bills. Is there a chance that while she's running for re-election, this, this sort of goes south on her? It is certainly possible. Looking at the race uh, for governor here in in June, neither of her two opponents have really caught fire yet. I think both of them are going to try to use this to catch fire. Do these publicly funded stadiums actually benefit the public? 
in a minute on Today Explained. Support for the show already comes from Factor, not Simon Cowell Factor, not Joe Rogan Factor. Uh, Factor with the fast premium meals without the work. Factor offers over 35 different options a week to choose from with options for your dietary needs. No prep, no mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, which saves you all that prep cooking and cleanup time. I've never saved all my prep cooking and cleanup time, but maybe Vox's Sarah Frank has. For lunch, I had a garlic mushroom chicken thigh meal with a side of green beans. I think from the time I pulled it out of the fridge to the time I plated it, it was less than five minutes. So for busy people like me, a super easy way to have a healthy meal in really just a few minutes. You can head to factormeals.com slash explained50 and use the code explained50 to get 50% off. That's code explained50 at factormeals.com slash explained50 to get 50% off. Support for Today Explained comes from Shopify. How well do you know the ins and outs of starting a business? Admittedly, I don't know very much. To actually do it, apparently, you might not need as much savvy as you think because there are e-commerce tools to help make getting started easy for anyone. Tools like, you guessed it, folks, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. The beginning stages, the middle stages, the final stages. According to the company, they support online and in-person selling, and their award-winning support team will help you along the way. They even have an AI tool called Shopify Magic, which might help make things even easier. Who doesn't like magic? You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash explained all lowercase. Don't you dare use uppercase. Go to shopify.com slash explained now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash explained. Enjoy. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. All right, we're back. Today explained, the Buffalo Bills are on track to get a new stadium with nearly a billion dollars in public funds. It's a record setter, but it's far from the first. There's a rich history here, and Andrew Zimbalist knows it. I'm a professor of economics at Smith College. We asked him to share. Well, there were a couple of anomalies, such as the old Memorial Stadium in Cleveland. That was built during the 1930s. Other than those anomalies, the the time that the government really got involved in the United States in financing stadium construction was in the 1950s. And basically what happened was that Major League Baseball, which back then was the predominant spectator sport, Major League Baseball had not expanded the number of teams since 1903. Uh, Of course, the population expanded enormously between 1903 and the early 1950s, and, and people's incomes expanded enormously. And that meant that there were a lot of cities out there, particularly west of the Mississippi, that didn't have baseball teams. And then what we had is that these cities out west are trying to lure baseball teams, and they start competing against each other. And the owners, of course, playing the capitalist game well, say to their existing cities, build me a new stadium or I'm, I'm going somewhere else. Mm. And so that's that was really when the professional sports leagues got the idea that, gee, we have some market leverage here that we might as well use. 
Uh, and the, the leverage they used was, you've got to build me a stadium. If you want me to come to your town, put down public money. Back in those days, you know, stadium might have cost 70 or $80 million. Uh, and basically, 100% of the stadiums were being financed publicly. And then what happened was in the 1960s and 70s, as the United States goes through this period of automobilization and suburbanization, so we went through a period in the 60s and 70s of the building of these cookie-cutter stadiums that were also publicly financed. And at that point in time, they cost maybe $150, $200 million. And then it continued again. We have another wave in the 1990s, which flipped the model back. Hey, let's, let's put the stadiums back in, in the center of the city. That's where the businesses are. That's where the most money is. So that was a new model. And again, it was overwhelmingly publicly financed, maybe for most of the stadiums in the set in the 90s were more like 70 to 85 percent publicly financed but that varied a great deal from city to city the smaller cities of course had much less leverage in any event that that's that's the the, the basic evolution of, of this pattern and one of the things that's happened in the last 10 years or so is that stadium costs have gone up from being 300 400 500 million dollars up to a billion dollars and more all the way up to the stadium in Inglewood, california that Stan Kroenke built for $5 billion. It's the first indoor-outdoor stadium of its kind. We created an open stadium, completely open on all its sides, all the concourses. You feel the ocean breeze right now where we're standing on the field. As stadiums have grown more and more expensive, it's less and less politically feasible for mayors and city councilors to say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for 80% of that, because they don't have the money. Hmm. So what they do is they, they make these deals with the team owner that says, since you're putting up more money nominally or putting up more money up front, what we'll do since you're putting up all that, so we'll give you 50 acres of land around the stadium to develop as you see fit, and we won't charge you property taxes for the next 20 years. Or they make some, they make some such deal. So the model has changed a little bit more recently, uh, in, in part because of a lot of bad publicity that these deals have gotten, but in part also because it's just too expensive for cities to be taking up, uh, uh, at least up front, paying that kind of money. But of course, when they give a tax exemption for 10 or 20 or 30 years, that leads to the same thing, because they're giving up revenue that they would have otherwise gotten. And if they're giving them land for free, same thing again. They're giving them something of value. It's just not cash up front. So that was like the entire history right there, which is incredible. <laughs> I wonder if I can go back and, and sort of pull on a string connected to one word you use somewhere in the middle of that history lesson, which was leverage. Yeah. Tell me more about the leverage these teams had against cities. Because you think they need the cities more than the cities need them. But is that the case? Look, fact of the matter is, and the U.S. court system has validated what I'm about to say over and over and over again, is each of these major leagues in the United States, whether it's MLB or NFL, or NBA, or NHL, or whatever it is, they're monopolies. MLB, Major League Baseball, is the only producer of top-level baseball in the United States. Same thing with the NFL, NBA, etc. So they're monopolies. And as monopolies, they do what all monopolies do. They restrict their output relative to demand, um, and that enables them to charge higher prices. One way they charge higher prices is by charging more for tickets and concessions. Another way they charge higher prices is by extracting public subsidies to build them their stadiums. Hmm. As these deals have evolved, I wonder who benefits more. Does the city benefit more or does the team benefit more? 
Well, it's case by case always because the devil's in the details. But if you're going to generalize about it, the generalization is that having a professional sports team in your city or having a stadium, a new stadium or a new arena in your city doesn't lend itself to promoting economic development. It doesn't lend itself to generating more jobs or raising per capita income in the population. That's what virtually every single academic, scholar, independent scholarly study has found, hmm. that having a professional sports team is not a driver of economic development. It's promoted that way because politicians and, and the team owners want to, want to find political support for it. Uh, no, no politician wants to spend $500 million or $800 million and then say, oh, by the way, I have bad news. We, we have a big deficit and, and I have to cut school, the school budget this year. But that's exactly what happens. Well, it, it, sometimes it happens. When all these academics and scholars and, and economists look at this in the aggregate and say, oh, this never really works out, is there, is there one example everyone looks at and goes, well, that was the worst one we ever did. That was the Hindenburg of, of stadium deals. I don't know if there's a worst example. It, it, maybe it's cute to say, oh, this, this one is worse than all the others, and this one is second worst and so on. I think that pretty much you know, 90% of the deals that were, were cut over the last 40 or 50 years have not been economically beneficial or financially beneficial to a city. They've, they, they've created a budgetary hole that has to be filled. How do you fill it? Either by raising taxes or lowering other services. I think that's the reality. Now, if public treasuries are putting down an initial $850 million, as Buffalo is, then they, they're obligated to do another $280 million of maintenance and, and improvements to the stadium. And they're hoping that they're going to be able to generate enough revenue off of the stadium in order to cover their debt service. But I don't see it. So I think there are cases like Buffalo and there are cases, other cases, what, what happened in Oakland recently where the team left uh, before the bill was paid and the city is having to pick up all the debt service even though the team went to Las Vegas. Look at what the mayor of Oakland just tweeted out yesterday calling the NFL a billionaire boys club that ditched Oakland out of sheer greed. They go on to call the NFL a cartel and says some of their practices are bribes in this lawsuit that they've put forward. What's the city of Oakland to do? They've got this massive stadium. They don't even have a football team. Even when they had the football team, they only used it, you know, 20 nights out of the year. What do you do then with this massive investment you've made? I think what you have to do is, first of all, uh, make sure that you've negotiated as hard and as effectively as you can. The the notion that that you would have debt service on hundreds of millions of dollars of bonds for 30 years, but the team isn't obligated to stay for 30 years, that makes no sense to me. As I understand the Buffalo deal, by the way, it stipulates that they're supposed to stay for 30 years, but it gives the bills an out after 15 years. So they might get in the same situation that Oakland is. Now, there's a little penalty if you leave before 30 years. There's a penalty that diminishes between year 15 and year 30. But that that doesn't make sense to me. You shouldn't sign bills like that. What's a situation that went well for a city and the team? What's like the gold standard of this kind of deal? I think the Atlantic Yards deal in Brooklyn that brought what was then the New Jersey Nets to Brooklyn, and now they're the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Arena is the first deliverable of the planned $4.9 billion project that's supposed to eventually have 17 structures in all. That was It was financed by the, the Ratner Corporation, which at the time owned the Nets. The Atlantic Yards project received upwards of $300 million in public funds and subsidies from the state and the city. 
And developer Forest City Ratner and its CEO Bruce Ratner made a lot of promises. So you have a public investment on on the one hand that is eight eight or nine hundred million dollars. You have a private investment that's close to five billion dollars. We are finally here to celebrate the grand opening of the Barclays Center Arena. Okay, and you know what? Here it is. Uh, and and you you brought an area to life, uh, so you know it seems to me that that that's a plus plus. Remember at the beginning of this interview when I asked you about the history and you, you gave it to me, starting about in the 1950s, right? That was the moment where cities said, "We'll throw you some money if you build a stadium." Yeah. Yeah. What if that moment never happened? What if cities back then said, "To hell with you! You need us more than we need you." We're not giving you a, a nickel. They'd have to just front the money. They'd just have to ask their billionaires to build these stadiums, right? The answer is we wouldn't have nearly as many modern stadiums. Stadiums would be a lot simpler than they currently are. Biggest cities might have slightly more elaborate stadiums, but they would be a lot less elaborate than they are now. And one of the, one of the consequences of that is that the teams would be less profitable, and hence they would have lower franchise values than they have now. And the players, by the way, would be playing in stadiums that had fewer people who were spending less money on the tickets. So they're, they're what economists call marginal revenue product, or the value of what they produce would be lower and the players' salaries would be lower. So we, yes, that could happen, but it's a counterfactual. And it's not something that, um, you know, somebody can get be elected president and snap his or her fingers and get that to change. It's very useful to say, gee, if we didn't spend $800 million on the stadium, we could spend $800 million improving our school system. Yeah. If it were the case that building the stadium actually will produce more tax revenue than it will produce obligations, financial obligations for the city, then that, then that actually enriches the city's ability to provide services. And that, that's, so that's potentially a good thing. But the issue is, you're saying, by and large, the stadiums don't bring that kind of revenue to cities. That's right. That's right. I'm just not willing to say they never do, because I think there are exceptions. Well, I hope for the people of Buffalo this is an exception. <laughs> yeah. Professor Andrew Zimbalist, he's with Smith College out in Northampton, Massachusetts. Before him, you heard from Jerry Zaremski. He's the Washington bureau chief for the Buffalo News. You can find his work at buffalonews.com. Hadi Mawagdi produced today's show. Laura Bullard and Matthew Collette fact-checked it. Afim Shapiro and Paul Mounsey engineered, and I edited the Sean Ramos firm. It's Today Explained. Right now, businesses are facing tough choices. Do you cut costs or drive growth? Solve for today or build for tomorrow? Do you satisfy your shareholders or satisfy your customers? The answer is yes. 
You don't have to choose. With the intelligent platform for digital business from ServiceNow, you can say yes to unifying your existing systems and yes to accelerating growth. Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. So if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.